Hello, welcome to the show. I'm Suki Stewart from Playfield, a startup helping organizations to enable everyone to rediscover their creativity through playful wonder and serendipity. And I'm Lucy Taylor from Matework Play, an organization on a mission to use the power of play to unlock potential and possibility. Together, we are Why Play Works, the podcast that speaks to people radically reshaping work as play. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Lucy Hawthorne, a campaigner at heart and founder of Climate Play. Through play-based programmes, she helps make it safe, light and fun for people to face climate change. Combining Lego with climate psychology and social change theory, Lucy helps organisations to engage more honestly, deeply and creatively with climate change, whether they're just getting started or have gotten stuck. Having spent a while in the NGO scene, she became concerned that the heaviness of the conversation was affecting people's energy to act. As a qualified coach and Lego Serious Play facilitator, Lucy now challenges the norm of serious seriousness as the best way to get things done. In our conversation today, we explore the significance of playfulness when engaging with serious topics, Lego as a medium to understand and articulate ideas, feelings and beliefs more honestly and simply, and the relationship between play and gamification in learning. We hope you enjoy. Hi, Lucy. It's so great to have you. Thanks so much for coming on today. Hello. Thanks very much for inviting me. I'm very excited to talk about all things play. So let's kick off. I'd love to hear what the word play means to you. Well, I guess the word that comes to mind for me is mischief followed by experimentation and um, I guess that's for me how I like play but I guess the thing with play is it's obviously there's two sides of it right so there's play is a state of mind or playfulness is a state of mind and a way mm. of being and I think that's really important as an attribute to develop which I'm sure we might talk about mm. then there's obviously play as approaches and methods and I'm a learning specialist I guess so I'm interested in how we use playful methods to cultivate playful attributes. Absolutely I can't resist asking you to unpack the mischief a little bit so maybe maybe that leads me to the next question which is what is your earliest or favorite memory of play and has mischief always been a part of that? I guess I, I think I've always been one of those people that's I think I've always been a sort of young child and an old lady trapped in an adult's <laughs> body to be honest. So I think the mischief thing is, for me, it's all about having that glint in your eye and a cheeky grin. So I think often when people think about play, they they think about running around really fast or being super extroverted. But for me, mm. it's actually more about a kind of a little bit of a sense of humour with things. Mm. And I guess I've always been like that, really, of slightly cheeky and irreverent, but never too provocative, which I guess is the the concept of my work, which I'm sure we'll come on to. But my earliest memories, my very earliest memory that comes to mind is standing in a garden with one of my uncles and he had a bucket. I probably would have been about four, I think. And he had a bucket with water and he was just simply swinging the bucket around. In uh -huh. And my four-year-old little brain could not understand how the water was not falling out. I just couldn't get it. And I really remember having this probably very dangerous game of trying to, <laughs> as he swung the bucket round, of trying to get my hand in there and see if I could get the water out, which wasn't particularly good child supervision. But I guess <laughs> there's something there about just 
raw curiosity and a bit of a challenge. Mm. So I was that as a real kid, but then there's another memory that comes into mind of being a little bit older, probably a teenager actually, and this is an example I give in some of my work, is as me and my lifelong best friend, my cousin, in the summer holidays, and this is before the world went super digital, I guess. And what we would do is we would call each other up on the landline. We'd get an A to Z of Wolverhampton out and we'd pick a random page. And then we'd pick, a, you know, one of us would pick a letter and one of us would pick a number. And then we'd walk from our respective sides of the town to try and find each other in the square. Wow. <laughs> because I'm a Helpsy. massive geek and I love maths. But I think that also is just for me plays about it's about exploration and mm. just being curious and just finding stuff out and a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. It's quite niche. It's a niche example. I don't think anybody else on your podcast will have said that one. I'm here for the niche. Is your cousin as big a fan of maps and challenge and exploration oh. as well? Which she's like, oh, really loose again. I mean, I think he still. Oh, holds... sorry, I don't know why I assume yeah, she. That's all right. He still holds the same curiosity and we have talked at various points of reigniting this challenge mm. um, without smartphones. But I think people have invented that in TV game shows, but we were there first. You were the OGs. Amazing. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. So tell me more about Climate Play and how it came to be born. Thanks. So I guess Climate Play is an antidote to the norm of serious seriousness mm. when we think around climate change and sustainability. And in essence, it's a learning and development organisation that tries to help unlock more radical climate action through play and playfulness. So that's the concept of it. And the reasoning for it is that I'm trying to make it, I say I'm trying to make it safe, light and fun for people to face climate change so that people can engage more deeply, honestly, and creatively. So that's my reasoning, really. And I guess the, or the origins of that, I'll talk a bit about what that physically looks like in a minute, but the origins of that came very much from my experiences of working as an environmental campaigner and a social issues campaigner for about 15 years, really. And at the point when I was most successful, I became most jaded. So I was really heavily involved in the last couple of years, like the key kind of turning point stages of the ban on fracking in the UK, we did a great job and we won. And that is a big, that's a huge achievement. Yeah. But I really left, I was left with a couple of really key reflections. And one is that we've become really good at playing the games, politics, and we were really good at influencing. But ultimately what we were doing is moving the pieces of self-interest around the board rather than deeply changing people's minds and hearts on the issues. I'm thinking that in regards to our political targets, but also just really noticing that the way in which we were trying to engage people felt like we were either fearing or forcing them into action rather than organically or naturally leading people towards us. And so climate play... I try to think about, well, how can I create conversations and events and actions that people actually want to be involved in rather than only feeling like they should? And I guess the third aspect of it is understanding that in some ways the environmental movement, and I think that's probably the case for other movements, has a real problem with perfectionism, like a really serious and corrosive problem with perfectionism and needing to get everything right and to 
be able to hold your head up high because you've done things in the right way. And unfortunately, it just polarizes people and it puts them off. So climate play is very much born from a kind of pragmatic belief of if we can find ways of helping people to engage, you will achieve better impact. So that's the kind of backdrop of it. So there's a nice, big, exciting pitch to it. And practically what that means is that I run workshops. I run play-based workshops with a lot of Lego to help businesses and other organisations work out the human barriers to action. So we know that climate change is a bad thing, but how do we help people move towards action and create a space for people to engage in the human dynamics of it? I love that point around perfectionism immobilizing us and I'll come to hear more about it. You also use the term plativism, yes. which I'd love to hear more. What does that mean? Unpack that for us. So I spent many years working in kind of activist or campaigning spaces. And I guess that piece around perfectionism resonates here because I think playfulness and perfectionism are complete opposites. Absolutely. And so if I'm being conceptual, I think my work is quite countercultural in that way. But the the word plativist, I've slightly nicked it from somebody else. And there's a brilliant woman called Yana Bura Tavania, and she's got a fantastic TED talk on activist burnout, which I would definitely recommend you watching. And she's a human rights activist and she calls herself a plativist. And in that talk, she's got this brilliant quote to me that summarizes the whole point, which is that our outcomes are not meant to be playful, but our process is. And so to me, plativism is about how do you hold the gravity and the seriousness of the issues that you're engaging with, whatever your context, but understand and allow for different ways of achieving the outcomes. Mm. Now, sometimes we do need to be really stoic and sometimes we do, of course, need to be really serious. But I think there's just something about thinking about what are the most effective ways to get people involved, help them stay involved and to become more deeply involved. And so much of that is about culture and how we interact with each other. So a lot of my work is about trying to create an atmosphere that's conducive. And that is with a very pragmatic head on it. So it's not saying, don't come to one of my workshops for escapism, but do come for it to one of my workshops if you want to engage, but you're scared of doing it in the way that we're, we're used to. And so I guess some of the thing with playtivism, uh, play-based activism, is just thinking about what is it that you're trying to achieve and being really clear on your focus. And if you can try and find ways of playfully engaging people to get involved in that, you're likely to be more effective. So whether you're organising a, a protest march or a party in your village square, if you can use play in a way to help engage people in the way that you need to, then you're probably going to be more effective. Yeah, I think the implications of that go so far and wide. The decoupling of process by which we reach an outcome and the outcome itself has huge implications. Yeah, and it's quite it's counterintuitive sometimes, and I guess that's where the balance of serious and light and mm. serious and these things fall in. But I think also that there's a lot of people that are trying not to be escapist about the issues but they are definitely escapist about the way in which they are engaged. Mm. And so I've become a bit of a, a bit obsessed with this approach of how do we engage people on things that matter to them? Mm. Because we know there's loads of evidence. It constantly comes out about how 
people want to engage in line with their values and on the subject of climate change, we know overwhelmingly in the UK here, we know overwhelmingly people support greener action. They want to achieve net zero. They want it. But we just need to be really pragmatic on how we can help people engage in the subject that is polarizing, scary, annoying. It is annoying. It's very annoying. <laughs> you mentioned how you, that you use Lego as yep. part of your work. So I'd love to bring that to life. Do you have some examples that you can share in terms of how you use Lego in your workshops? Yeah, so I use a lot of Lego serious play, but I, you know, I adapt it to the context. So I'm a little bit flexible with it. The key thing with Lego is that obviously it's based around metaphor and storytelling. But that particularly, it's really good for creating a safer conversation because the Lego works like an intermediary because you build into your Lego and then you describe your model. Um, and that just allows a little bit, there's an extra step of psychological safety for people. So a lot of my work is based around less of the technical aspect around climate change. So I don't tend to do work with people that's anything technical at all. It's more about how people engage with each other because it's really breakthrough at surfacing assumptions, beliefs, values, feelings. And so a couple of examples I can give of when I've worked with companies and have really quite significant results of one company, for example, I was brought in by the sustainability lead to try and see if we could create more of a an organisation-wide conversation around climate change and bring in the leadership team and other senior staff. And so we ran a half-day workshop in three and a half hours, what can you do? Um, and using Lego as a way to help people reflect on their piece of the puzzle within the organisation and then to bring that together collaboratively and see where everybody else's pieces of the puzzle fit together, we were able to, in three, three and a half hours, fundamentally look at the business model of the organisation and say, actually, how well aligned is it to their values around sustainability? And so that has a very practical dimension to it, but really the secret there was it just helped them communicate just helped them communicate and it helped them to understand the stresses and challenges and the fears that they had, the assumptions they had around how they might be judged with, by their peers, all of that really superhuman stuff. And by the end of it, essentially, they'd come to a conclusion that they were going to shift their business model away from flights and towards trains. And that's in three and a half hours. And that's just one example. There's plenty of other ways in which I've used it. So around this theme of human connections. So I've done quite a bit of work with, say, sustainability consultants or freelancers and dealing with the very human challenges of isolation and needing community and thinking about how do they find the energy to keep doing what they're doing. So the trick is really understanding the needs of those groups. So what are their barriers to action? And then just literally designing playful opportunities for them to explore it where you're taking the sting out of their reality and you give them a prompt and kind of lego blocks to, to build something that manifests how they might be feeling without the need for articulation through words yeah because there's massive limitations with language but the principle with the lego series play the key principle is that each brick is a metaphor so you take people through a process of getting them used to playing with Lego again because most people have forgotten unless they've got kids. 
And you take them through a process where they get used to that again and you stretch their kind of metaphorical muscles and their storytelling muscles. And then you just go through processes where you ask some very sharp questions. So you Mm. need to know your crowd very well here. And a lot of this is really just about good facilitation as much as it Mm. is play methods. You know, really have done your work and you ask them the right questions. People build their answers and then everybody shares. So you get a real brilliant reduction of hierarchy because everyone builds, everyone shares. And so it's a very kind of collaborative form of play. So the main thing I tend to do is Lego. And the reason for that is because it's got a very low barrier for entry. So I'm all about making play accessible. So people are afraid of climate change and they're afraid of playing as an adult because they're worried they won't be taken seriously. So there's loads of other playful interventions. There's thousands of different ways we can approach things. But there is just something about the familiarity and ease of Lego that just allows people in, which is why I tend to overuse it, possibly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure it's possible to overuse it. And you'd mentioned earlier in our conversation the kind of tension that does exist between this idea of being playful with your methods and what feels like serious weighty topics so how do you work with maybe your own discomfort around that or especially imagine others discomfort around that tension it's a similar tension that a lot of people working in play will have because whether you're working on say leadership programs and play it's all about the notion of needing to be serious you know that norm of serious seriousness i mentioned it's just born from it's born from capitalism essentially Mm -hmm. And how we're replicating that in all corners of our life. I think I get a mix of the way that people engage with my work is quite mixed. Some people are like magnetized to it and they get it really quickly and they're just up for a bit of joy and a bit of experimentation. Other people are a bit more suspicious. So I guess that plays out most commonly when I'm working for an organisation and the attendees themselves haven't necessarily consented to play in the same way. Yes, this is a very familiar facilitator's challenge. Oh, yeah, yeah. Generally, what happens there is that people soften after a bit. When they see that it works and when they see that they don't have to be silly, because I don't push it too far, really, they see the value of it and ultimately people do tend to follow their peers so I guess those, you know, those questions are are a challenge. But I think I've been a bit surprised, really, that I thought I would get more kickback than I actually do. I definitely get rolled eyes, and I wouldn't say <laughs> it, it clicks with everybody. But does it have to? There's a million different ways we can approach things. And for me, you asked about how this works for me, is... This, the development of this line of work has been really helpful for me of understanding my role Mm -hmm. and how I contribute to these really big issues. And so for me, it's really quite settling in a way to understand that this is what I can do, this is what I can't do. And actually, if trying to contribute by making some spaces that make it a bit more helpful and conducive for people is quite helpful. But I guess just one other point is around... I mentioned psychological safety before. So people Mm -hmm. are afraid of both dimensions of my work. And so in the way in which I design Mm -hmm. sessions, and I guess the tone through which I try to communicate with people, 
is just about trying to help people lower their barriers. So practically as a facilitator, you know, I really think about room dynamics, the dynamics of how it's facilitated, who speaks when, what my mm. role is, all of that stuff. So you're thinking about power and those questions, but also just making sure you don't, people don't walk into the room and then suddenly you make them put on a silly hat and start dancing on the tables yeah and alienate yeah absolutely not a wedding reception that's such an interesting point that both sides of the coin that you're working with can feel daunting even if it's not intended to and that's a really interesting point that there's a for some people there'll be a double challenge in that yeah and I guess it comes back to the thing around play being something to develop it's about it being a skill or an attribute to develop, to be willing to try and develop and do that in your own way. Mm-hmm. And so I very much think about playfulness being a real key kind of 21st century attribute in the same uh, way that we think about the other buzzwords around resilience or ability to deal with uncertainty because the earth is moving very fast beneath our feet uh, and we need to be on our tippy toes. So being able to practice playfulness is is just an ongoing journey and I am definitely included in that myself. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. So yeah, let's go there. Why do you think the ability to engage in playfulness and using playful methods of working is important both today and into the future? I suppose there's just something about being light-footed about it. So If everything we did was completely playful, it would be a bit of a problem. So in the context of climate change, in no way, just to let me me make this very clear, I do not think that we should only talk about climate change through the medium of Lego, because sometimes we need much more kind of hardline actions. But there is just something about creating spaces where you can experiment and try stuff without worrying Um. about consequences. Now, that feels countercultural on issues like racial equity or climate change because there's a real poverty, because there's a huge sense of urgency. Mm. But it's about being willing to experiment and try things and just see what happens and learn as you go. So Mm. it's very strong connections with Carol Dweck, growth mindset stuff. So the ability to just experiment and see what you learn and then that ladder or the steps between play, creativity, and innovation, is that if you can give yourself more space to try stuff without worrying whether it's going to work or not, whatever you do end up investing in is more Mm. likely to work better. But I also think there's just something about trying to hold the seriousness without being utterly miserable at the same time, because Mm. the seriousness isn't going to go away. Mm. And that takes a lot of guts. I think. And do you think there's need to be light-footed, create a space for experimentation, try different ways of doing things? Do you think we're in a chapter of history where that's more required than before? Or do you think this would always have been a a kind of helpful intervention? One of my other childhood play fantasies was totally time machine. So I would love to go back and see whether our world actually bears a lot of similarity in some ways. But yeah, things are changing really fast. We're in a state of rapid change on literally all fronts Mm. in terms of our social norms, in terms of our global connectedness and cultural overlaps and technology. Everything is so fast. And so the skill of being able to hold complexity and Mm. 
adapt is just really important. And I guess to me, playfulness is about how you do that, but with possibly a smile on your face. <laughs> but this is all, it's all conceptual stuff. But I think it is, you can boil that down really to a willingness to experiment. And you've mentioned before gamification versus play and learning environments. And that is something that I've encountered a lot of people thinking when you talk about play, you're talking definitely about gamification, whereas it's definitely nuance between those things. So what do you see the difference being between gamification versus play? And when is one helpful, where is the other one less? Yeah, it's a good question. I think gamification is used a lot in social movements as ways to, as ways to engage people and just trying to make things a bit more fun. I guess pure play, if we're going to be technical about it, pure play is without clear outcomes in a way. And it's just allowing people to follow their nose and mm -hmm. do what makes sense to them in their own distinctive way. So deep, playful engagement, for example, let's just take the example of the climate movement. Deep, playful engagement would be helping people understand how they like to play and how they combine that with their interests. So, for example, mm -hmm. I've done bits of work with activists about looking with their, their play styles. So the Stuart Brown eight different mm. styles of play and how you understand what you're instinctively drawn to and combining that with ways that you can do your activism. So mm. that's playful and that's much more open and about people interpreting things in their own way. Gamification is a little bit instrumental in terms of using a bit of fun and a bit of playfulness and some games to help people engage for a purpose that you've already prescribed. <laughs> so there is an outcome of this game, which is that you will learn X, Y, Z, and I'm going to help you get there, and you're not going to have a horrible time in the process. Yeah. So they're, they're both really valuable approaches, and there's loads and loads of really great climate change and sustainability-related approaches that help make learning more palatable and more mm. effective. So there's the 2030 SDG game, which is about helping people understand the sustainable development goals. There's loads of different card games, like Greenhouse is one. There's loads of gamified knowledge learning approaches. So the Financial Times have got this really great simulation where you essentially have to pretend to be a global leader and you answer a bunch of questions. So those things are really super helpful at helping people get on board with the knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I do, one of the things I do in my work is I run a monthly, run a monthly meetup first Thursday of the month at one o'clock UK time, people, Ash. where we look at gamified and playful approaches. And so the something, the benefit of the gamified things is they're quite tangible. Um. So if there's a game, for example, you can take that into your workplace, you can take that into your school and you've got a boundary time to do some reflection. Mm -hmm. The broader concepts of play is more about helping people understand how to combine who they are with what they care about. I, it's massively simplifying what you're saying, but I reflect on your response there. It's this idea of gamification is almost a kind of clear road to a defined yeah. area you want to explore, whereas playfulness feels more open-ended in that you don't know where that, is, that road's going to lead. Okay. Um, but as you say, massive kind of helpfulness either way, but it depends what you're trying to achieve, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think there's something about the tangibility of games. And I guess uh, a lot of the work I do is I have a workshop and all of the workshops have got an outcome. So in a way, I'm still doing gamified 
learning to an extent. Uh. It's just that I try to contextualize that with the bigger challenge, which is about the the state of being that uh. is playfulness. And that latter point for me has been quite a breakthrough understanding in terms of my work. So mm-hmm. I mentioned the classic Stuart Brown play styles, which I'm sure have come up many times on this podcast. Yes, big fans. But, and relating to my A to Z example is that mm. I'm a huge <laughs> explorer. So that is, I am just that through and through. Yeah. And so for me, I'm able to harness my explorer in my work because um, it is wildly curiosity inducing. I find it fascinating. And so I'm able to be exploring on a day-to-day basis. And that's what allows me to stay engaged in a topic that really stresses me out. So I guess the playfulness piece is about helping people understand what their connection is so that they're able to sustain themselves. I'd love to hear a bit more about that in terms of how your own play preferences can inform the best way for you to engage in this so absolutely i understand your kind of explorer preference so i have a big director preference yep and actually a big physical mover preference with that insight how would you how would you suggest i was to engage that might be different from your way of engaging i'd say you're probably already doing it to be honest so 10 out of 10 Um, I'm I'm pretty similar, so I'm also got a strong director. Mm. I've got a bit a good bit of the Joker, but I definitely don't like to be. That's the mischief. That's the mischief. I definitely don't like to be centre stage, but I do a lot of dad jokes. But the director thing is, for me, comes out very clearly in my work as well because it's about Mm. for me that the way that plays out is about organising events and pulling Mm. people together. And I'm a facilitator by trade. And when I was a teenager, I was a hospital radio presenter. So all of these, wow. it's all coming out now. Radio Wolfram, the Hamptons <laughs> premier, premier hospital radio station. <laughs> it was absolutely horrific. I'm not going to lie. But it, it's all that sort of thing about trying to bring people together and just organise. Mm. And again, that's I do a lot of that stuff. I've got various different side projects and I run this meetup group. So I'm employing my... My my explorer drives me and mm. my director helps me put it into action. But understanding that as being play actually is quite enlightening because then mm. you're able to enjoy your work because you realise that you're actually doing it this way because you really love it. Mm. So if you're a storyteller or you're a curator or whatever else, or you know, you're a kinesthete and you really just like to get people moving, mm-hmm. it's really about saying that, how can you give me 10 ways that you could bring this mm. into your engagement with your family and you're talking to your kids about climate change or you're trying to think about how to get your green network up and running at work or any other, co- or you're trying to bring new volunteers into your community group. It's mm-hmm. really about trying to understand your preferences and theirs so that you can design opportunities for people to engage that actually work for them. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so you mentioned your monthly meetup. It would be great to hear about how we can engage with your work, learn more about it and get involved. Do you work with both kind of individuals and organisations? Just give us a flavour of how people can get engaged and involved. I'd say there's three key ways. So number one is that I work predominantly with SMEs, so the small and medium-sized businesses, and I run workshops to help you unblock barriers to action on sustainability and climate change. Mm-hmm. So that tends to be about how you collaborate and how you get past blockers in your organisation. So that's the first thing. 
The second thing is I do a lot of speaking around these issues and speaking opportunities and engagements um, is another thing. And that's partly about the pitch for playfulness in the space, because I think people are often really interested in, they're interested in the story of what I'm trying to do often. And then the third piece is about teaching play-based engagement in relation to climate change. So that is a combination of bits of Lego series play, other bits of creative facilitation, and also some of the kind of play theory that we've touched on today. Mm -hmm. So that is something that I'm going to be launching as a different approach in addition to the other work later in the year. That sounds fantastic. Drawing towards the end of our lovely conversation, do you have a playful kind of practice or method that you can share, which we can take away and try for ourselves or with other people? What comes to mind is, it's not climate focused, but it's totally my favourite game. <laughs> and I was taught this by a woman called Catherine Wilkes, who runs an organisation called Shook, which uses improv to help young people. And I'll describe the game. So you've got a bunch of people and you split them into small groups and you give them a random letter. Okay. Each group has to come up with the name of a game that alliterates. So, for example, like Popping Pirates or something like that. So then all of the teams share their names and everybody votes on their favourite. So let's say Popping Pirates wins. Then all of the teams then go back and have to make up some rules for the game of Popping Pirates. Everyone then shares their rules. Uh, the different teams share their rules. And there's another vote on the favourite game and then everyone plays the game. That is the thing. Every time it's really weird, often very surreal, but because you are you're giving people ownership. And that's one of the other things that I didn't just really talk about too much on mm. play about. Playfulness is about giving people choice mm. and giving them agency. So I find this game is something that's actually, it's really silly, of course, but it, it, you're actually starting to model giving people like creative power <laughs> but mainly it's just generally pretty weird <laughs> the things that fully grown adults can come up with are have been the, a source of much confusion to many conference centers <laughs> what what is the name of that game does it have one i don't know to be honest but hopefully i've explained that literally enough we could take that away and it's weird it practice amazing thank you so much is there anything that I should have asked you or you wish I'd asked you that I haven't in the course of this conversation. I can't think of that really, but I guess one thing that I forgot to say is just if people people want to get in touch is <clears throat> how you can find me, which is uh, you can find me at climateplay.org, so www.climateplay.org. And if you look up Lucy Walsh on LinkedIn, you'll find me. I'm always just super curious to talk to people <clears throat> working in this space. I guess one other thing I could just note is how people listening to this might be able to help me in my cause. Yeah, um, put it so out there. I'm really up for partnerships because uh -huh. what I'm trying to inject into the sustainability space is different ways of engaging. And I'm sure I can do my work and I fully trust that is effective. But what I'd really like to be able to do is help other people do their work more effectively uh -huh. through playfulness. So I'm really up for conversations with people who are trying to engage people but are getting stuck um, and to see if there's ways in which we might be able to playfully join forces. Yeah. Consider it out there in the universe. Yeah. Invitation. Brilliant stuff. 
Thank you so much, Lucy, for sharing your reflections and your insights and more about your work. It's been such a fantastic conversation. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. So, Lucy, what did you think of our conversation with other lovely Lucy? It was really inspiring. That work is very close to my heart. What she's doing is so important Mm -hmm. because, you know, that challenge is so pressing. And I work with a lot of NGOs and that sense of kind of heaviness and burden and burnout, you know, the burnout that happens in Mm -hmm. that world is intense. And so anything that anyone can do to make that lift lighter and more sustainable, I kind of fully salute. Um, Yeah. So I just thought, go Lucy. Yeah, absolutely. I really liked the kind of examples she was using around how we have insights into our own ways of play and our own kind of playful preferences to help us understand how we can sustain our own energy when navigating Mm. through something that we find difficult. And, you know, absolutely climate change. But I was thinking also applies hugely beyond that as well to anything that we might be finding a challenge. So just kind of thinking, well, how how do I like to play and how can I use this insight to understand what you might need to do to restore that kind of energy bank within yourself? I really like that insight. Yeah, that's really nice. I really enjoyed the fact that she brings mischief <laughs> Like I think mischief is just such an underrated kind of path of life. Absolutely. And I really would like to see a world with a bit more mischief in and that sense that of playfulness being like a glint in your eye and a playful cheeky grin um, um, really spoke to me, especially, you know, in this world of seriousness and um, heaviness that's quite heavy. Mm, yeah, I don't know, something that really, really spoke to me as well, kind of linked to that was this idea of play as a tool to help us overcome kind of crippling perfectionism. And that's something that spoke to me really really deeply around how, how play is almost the opposite of perfectionism and I think the world the words mm. she used were to loosen the grip and uh yeah that just really resonated with me yeah that's really nice and also kind of the power of offline fun so I loved her example of her game that she played with her cousin the A to Z <laughs> yeah and just thinking like actually there's something so valuable you know that was back in the 80s or 90s but um yeah, of doing that now, just taking, mm. taking, and as you know, our previous, one of our previous guests, Catherine Price, you know, she's all about disconnecting from your phone. And I felt that was a lovely example. Like, how could we bring that into those sorts of things into our day to day in 2023? Yeah, a brilliant prompt. I, I also really enjoyed hearing her effect on the way that she uses Lego, which obviously comes up a lot in our conversations with our playful partners. But kind of using Lego as a way of communicating kind of surfacing assumptions and fears and biases and how that can remove mm. the pressure on us to use language to really mm. surface those things and how we can just, yeah, use these amazing small pieces of, of plastic to kind of work beyond the limits of language in surfacing those assumptions and those fears. So I really enjoyed yeah. her kind of bringing that to life for me a little bit. Yeah, and it kind of creates this pause where you're you're reflecting and you're using your hands and you're making before you then have to put it into words, this little, Mm. as you say, kind of non-languaged space. Mm. Um, And also interesting, it's kind of like a gateway drug, Lego, (laughs) into play. (laughs) It's like this safe thing that people have a frame of reference Mm. for. It doesn't feel too vulnerable. So it's like a nice entry point into playful working. Mm. I thought that was 
an interesting point that I mean, she I made. Agree. And also, I think something that I found really helpful in this conversation was how much she kind of demonstrates the power of decoupling the outcome we're seeking or the outcomes we're seeking from the means of getting there. And that's what I'm really keen to explore with kind of playful ways of working is you might not be getting to, you know, the outcome you're seeking might not be play, but can you take a playful path to getting there? And I think just the conversation with mm. Lucy was really helpful to kind of decouple those two things for me in a really powerful way. Yes, absolutely. What what else resonated oh, with you? I think the last thing um, that's left me with is, and probably uh, fittingly at the kind of end of the series too, was I just want to ask everyone I meet for their earliest memory of play. Because every time I've asked that in this series, it's just invited our guests to share really beautiful snippets and recollections from their past. Each one has been this kind of glorious surprise that's so different from anything I might have expected. And I just have this sense of kind of, you never know what you're going to hear when you ask someone that. And yeah, I just think it's, it's a lovely opener for the next time you meet someone in any kind of scenario and just invite something really, really beautiful for them to share. Lovely. And that is a wrap on series two. Thanks so much for listening. We're taking a break from recording, but are keen to explore other formats and approaches for series three. So if you have any ideas, we would love to hear from you, be it guest suggestions or things you'd like to hear about. You can get in touch with us at hello at whyplayworks.com. And as always, if you've enjoyed listening, please do rate and review as it really helps us reach other listeners. And if you'd like to join our growing community of people united by the idea of play at work, you can sign up to the Playworks Collective on our homepage. Until next time, folks, and stay playful. Bye.